Crank up the volume and get ready for real-world bird hunting by listening to the Wingman Podcast by Eastman's. Now your host, Todd Helms. Hey guys, today's episode is brought to you by Federal Premium Shot Shells. And I just wanted to give a quick shout out and say thank you to Federal for standing by the Wingman brand since the beginning. They are our oldest partner and we... I can I can still remember to this day when Brandon Mason told me that they signed a contract and wanted to partner with us. I was so excited because I've been a federal fanboy forever. I've been using federal ammunition since way before I was ever involved in the outdoor industry, and I'm a firm believer in every product that they sell, whether it's rifle ammunition, whether it's pistol ammunition, or in the case of wingmen, shot shells. Everything from their TSS lineup, their turkey shot shells, their high shock lead target loads. Man, everything that they have just absolutely kills it. But I want to I want to highlight one product that they make in particular today, and that is the Federal Premium Speed Shock, or aka Blue Box. You guys have seen it. On the shelves, if you're if you're a waterfowler, you know how awesome good old Federal Blue Box is. If you need a load that you can buy a lot of, buy a couple cases of, and you can afford it, you can buy those cases without breaking the bank. It's Federal Blue Box every single time. My pick, three-inch number twos. There's not a situation in waterfowling that I've encountered where I can't cleanly take birds with three-inch number twos, especially if I'm being a little picky and shooting stuff in the decoys. But, man, I've taken, especially Canada geese, at some pretty jaw-dropping shots with that Federal Blue Box stuff. It's awesome. It comes in a variety of loads. It comes in a variety of gauges. My pick is the 12-gauge three-inch number twos. I've shot everything from pheasants on public property in South Dakota where you had to shoot a non-toxic load to geese, sandhill cranes, and obviously ducks, mallards, teal, you name it. Three-inch number two, Federal Premium Speed Shock. It just flat kills. Check it out. This fall, I know you won't be disappointed. Hey guys, welcome to episode 70 of the Wingmen Podcast. And unfortunately, you get me solo today. Um, That wasn't the plan for episode 70. I had a guest lined out, and they couldn't make it this afternoon to record, and so we had to reschedule. That happens occasionally in the world of podcasting. It just is what it is. So you get me for another solo episode. And I have some things on my mind that I want to visit with you about and that have some things since the last episode, episode 69, when I ran through a lot of gear Um, I've had an opportunity to test a couple more pieces of gear, one in particular, the new Federal Heavy Bismuth load that I'll get into here in a little bit, Um, but I wanted to talk about some of the hunts that we've done here recently and some of the things that I've done with Hondo, give you another update. We are in the midst of a massive blizzard. This morning we woke up to uh, temps. Standing temperature in the negative 15 range with wind chills down to about minus 50. Um, Obviously, up in Montana is getting pounded even worse than we are. But here in Wyoming, this is pretty severe. And we're not the most severe weather in Wyoming at the moment. 
Um, I did go out midday. The weather broke a little bit. The sun came out. Still super cold, but the wind died down. It quit snowing, and the waterfowl were up and at it. Um, I had too much on my plate with my editing job for Eastman's Hunting Journals to go out and do a hunt. And honestly, I'm not sure anybody, I could have rousted out any of my buddies to go out at, you know, minus 20, minus 25 with, uh, and hunt on layout blinds or even, even an uninsulated or unheated A-frame at this point. But that's okay. At this point, those birds are kind of in survival mode. Excuse me. Those birds are kind of in survival mode. And uh, it's not a bad thing to give them, give them a break every now and then. And that's what they're going to get from me for a few days. till this weather breaks, it warms up, conditions get a little easier for them to make it. Um, I'm going to lay off them a little bit. And that's, that goes into something else that I kind of want to talk about. And that, that is managing your hunting pressure, managing um, your honey holes. When you find a honey hole, when you get a honey hole, what do you do with it? Um, I'm going to talk about that in this episode as well. So the weather that we've got now has got these birds kicked into, like I said, survival mode. They're just hunkered down on ice shelves in the river, pushing slush, um, just trying to trying to survive. And they're getting out. They were all hitting barley fields, harvested barley fields this afternoon. There's, we still have a lot of standing corn with everything, moisture content in the corn is really high still. Farmers are having a hard time getting it combined and out of the fields. And so a lot, we have a lot of standing corn, which is good and bad. Um, the, the geese where we are don't tend to hit corn until the weather gets really nasty anyway, which there were some geese and some corn this afternoon when I went out and looked, but it was mostly barley. Um, and they're hunkered down, digging through the snow, trying to find that new regrowth, that re- that green regrowth that's recruiting underneath the snow and any grain, any waste grain that's laying around as well. But let's talk about the hunting pressure that we put on our spots real quick before I dig into the federal stuff and, and talk about this new product from Federal Ammunition that's going to be hitting the market here soon. We have... We live in a day and age where if you get a honey hole, a waterfowl honey hole or an upland honey hole for that matter, but let's, let's focus on waterfowl. If it's, if it's public, man, you really, really have to keep the lid on it. Um, if, if you stumble on it, public honey holes that are untouched and untrammeled are exceptionally rare in today's world. Um, especially for you, you poor guys that are in the South man, you, the public land battles that you fight down there are, can't, can't imagine. But if you northern guys or western guys, uh, we still have the luxury of having some, you know, midwestern guys too, of being able to, to find those public land honey holes. They're rare. Um, they're getting more and more rare all the time. So taking care of them is important. What I mean by that is you you don't take people you can't trust. You don't take people you don't know. And you don't tell anyone about it. And you don't overshoot it. It's pretty easy to figure out where people are hunting ducks when they're laying into them. Or geese for that matter. And especially geese. All you do is drive around. Um, but that not necessarily is public land. But if you're hunting ducks especially on public land, 
people are going to figure out where you're at just by the amount of shooting you do. So my advice is, if you can, hunt those places during the week, if at all possible. If you can take time off, if you have a flexible schedule, slip in, kill your limit, or whatever, however many ducks you, you, you want to shoot, and get out. Get in, get out. Quick stealth missions. Um, the reason I say that is, when you're not... When you're not hunting with a whole crew of guys, you're not firing as many shots, you're not educating as many ducks, and um, you're not beating it up quite as much or ex- or risking exposure to just random people. You know, you don't, hey, I got a buddy, I want to bring him. Okay, yeah, the next thing you know, your spot's blown up and you're, you don't even get to hunt it anymore because that buddy brought somebody else next time or post your spot. It happens. Unfortunately, it happens. It's happened to me. It'll probably happen to me again, unfortunately. But public land spots, manage your pressure. Um, Obviously, it's not super feasible on public land. But if you got a a public land honey hole, enjoy it, cherish it, keep it secret, and don't overshoot it. Um, Get in, get out, shoot your birds, and get out of there. And don't post about it on social media. You know, um... That's, a, that's probably a controversial statement, but I honestly think that social media has probably ruined more good hunting and fishing spots than it's than anything else. You know, you can pick out backgrounds out of things. You know where people are. It just adds pressure to an already very highly pressured resource. I'm not saying social media in and of itself is a bad thing. I love how it connects people. I love how it connects us as hunters, but if you let it, if you use it wrong, you can ruin spots with it big time. So there's my rant. I'm not really ranting, but you know, whatever. But the real focus of managing your hunting pressure, managing your honey holes is on private property. And this may be property that you have permission to hunt. It may be property that you're leasing. Either way, you need to limit your hunting footprint your limit your hunting pressure on that ground we are pretty blessed here where i live to have access to some pretty awesome stuff and i purposely the last two seasons have really limited the hunting pressure on those obviously i need to produce content so i probably hunted even a little more than i should but the i I try to space it out very seldom will I hunt a place two days in a row. Um, that's that's really rare. It's really rare. I usually like to leave spots alone for a week to ten days. Um, what that does is it is it keeps it keeps those spots fresh. In my in what I've seen is you can have a spot that's holding a ton of birds. And if you shoot it every other day or every three days, pretty soon those birds get wise to your decoy strategies. They get wise to your blinds, obviously, and where they're being shot at from or where they're seeing dogs in the water, where they're, well, they might not equate dogs, but just disturbance. People standing on the bank, running around. They see that stuff. It's disturbance. Where they get disturbed readily, where they get disturbed on a, regular basis they tend to avoid and so limit your impact limit your hunting pressure 
if you can, seven to 10 days, a week to 10 days between haunts. I know that's not always feasible for everybody, especially if you've got a lease, you're a weekend warrior, I get it. I'm a weekend warrior too. Most of the wing shooting stuff that I do is on the weekend, Saturdays and Sundays. Maybe once in a while I can slip out during the week, guys, but it's rare. Um, so I get it. If you are in that in that position, I would highly recommend trying to develop like a portfolio of hunting spots. Have multiple places that you can go so you don't have to hunt the same spot two weekends in a row. That gives things... If you have if you have two to three, even four or five spots, you can cycle through them and keep them fresh. You got to think about it. If you have five spots and you hunt each one a different weekend of the month, or four spots for that matter, a different weekend of the month, you're only hitting each of those spots a couple of times in an entire duck season. That's going to keep your footprint really small on those places. It's going to keep those birds wanting to be there because they're not being disturbed if they're if they have cover they have the right habitat and they have food either there or close by they won't leave give unless you get some catastrophic weather event they're not going to leave if you're not pounding on them constantly so that's the timing of your hunting and how you manage that pressure the other thing is how you hunt I will purposely, I will purposely, early in the season, I will purposely not, not put out, I'll only use as many decoys as I absolutely have to. And I don't, I very rarely, hunting over water, let me qualify that, hunting over water, especially on the river, very rarely do I use a spinning wing decoy anymore. Um, think about it. When you see hunters from a distance, what's the first thing that stands out? Most of us have one spinner going. Well, the birds see that over and over and over again. They get conditioned to it. If you're going to run spinners, run two, three, four spinners. Run a bunch of them so it looks different. Or don't run any at all. I have, I have come to the realization that hunting our western rivers out here, I have all of the movement that I need in my decoys from the river current itself. And I want to set decoy spreads that are as natural looking as possible. So study the birds. What I will do is I'll go out and I look where where are those birds sitting? Are they in on the edge of fast water? Are they in a fast water riffle? You know, eating invertebrates off the river bottom. Are they skimming this? Are they in a big slow glassy pool skimming the surface? Are they tucked up in the edges eating Russian olives or other vegetation? grains I don't know I go out and I look and I try to mimic exactly what I see those birds doing with my decoy spreads we're getting to the point this time of year where even in large decoy spreads I want my birds to be kind of paired up or three to four drakes to a hen in small kind of groups I might have two dozen decoys out or three dozen decoys out but I've got them set strategically so there's three decoys kind of bunched tight together. And then there's a couple of feet and there's another little bunch, maybe four or five decoys. That's how I, how I want my decoys set up because that's how I see ducks in the river. If I'm seeing them wind out on an ice shelf, 
with a couple of birds in the water and a whole bunch of them just sitting resting on the ice, you can bet I'm going to be using full bodies or probably shells on that ice shelf with a couple of floaters. I'm mimicking what I'm seeing. That goes a long way into decoying birds effectively. Honestly, if your decoys are set up effectively and you've got a good spot and there's birds around, your decoys are set up to mimic um, what the birds are doing and they're in uh, they're set up in a place where the birds want to be more frequent, your calling gets really minimal. Um, a hail call, maybe some quacks, and some soft feeding chatter is all you need. You really don't need to lean on those birds much because in our in my experience, if they're flying around, they're looking, especially those singles and pairs, they're up and they're looking for company. They're looking for a party. They're looking for, ooh, there's feed over there or the drakes especially. Ooh, there's hens in there. I want to get in there. Um, it doesn't take much to get their attention and they, and they want to work in. So being as realistic with your decoy placement and setup as possible making sure your decoys are clean and bright so they look like real birds. It is so easy this time of year, especially you goose guys, so easy to get in the rut this time of year where you're you're just grinding and you're either running traffic as much as possible or you're chasing feeds as much as possible. Either way, you're just grinding and your decoys are getting neglected. Um, we're, most of us are pretty good about continually grassing in blinds and making sure our hide's good, but our decoys tend to get neglected. They get dirty, they get scuffed, they get just kind of shabby looking. Take the time, clean your decoys, take them to the car wash, clean them mid season, clean them a couple of times, even. So here's a trick that I use. I throw a bristle, eh, excuse me, a bristle brush, a nylon bristle brush in all of my duck blinds. I throw them in the trailer. I've got them everywhere I go. And I'm constantly using those, using that bristle brush to clean my decoys as I set them out. I dunk them in the water and I scrub them with that. It gets the dirt off, the grime off, and it keeps them clean and shiny looking so they look like real birds. There's a mid-season tip for you because I know a lot of us are in the mid-season. Some of you guys are in the late season. I would consider this for... For us out here and guys in the south, we're mid-season. Um, but won't be long and it'll be all done. So this is December 21st today. When the winter solstice, the shortest day of the year. So clean your decoys. Set them up strategically. What that does, if you're decoying birds close, if everything, if all that stuff is set up right, your shots are going to be nice and close. If you're patient and you take your time, your shots are going to be close. Those are high percentage shots. High percentage shots lead to dead ducks, more dead ducks, singles, pairs. You're not necessarily having to shoot into big groups. You're not having to stay out real long. If you have birds in the area, they're where you want to be. You're decoying them effectively with good looking, clean, realistic decoy setup and strategy. Your shooting is going, should be nice and tight, nice and close. You shouldn't have to chase a lot of cripples, and it shouldn't take you very long to shoot a limit. Now, I get it. We all have our days. I'm going to be honest with you. I went, I've been going through a slump. My shooting has not been what it usually is. I'm usually a better-than-average shot, and this year I have struggled. I have really, really struggled, and I don't, I don't like that. I put in. I didn't put in the time to practice like I should have. 
And what it's done is it's kept me to shoot a limited limited ducks, especially it's kept me in my spots longer in the morning. I don't like that. I like to be in, out. So the bulk of the flight hasn't even hasn't even shown up yet. They haven't even come back from the fields or they haven't even gotten off the roost to go fly around and I'm back at work or I'm at the restaurant or I'm home cleaning birds or I'm wherever. My point is I only want to pick at the fringes of those flocks. I only want to pick at singles, pairs. What that does, if I only have a limited number of places and I can go in and effectively shoot two, three, maybe four limits of birds in 45 minutes to an hour or an hour and a half tops and I'm not educating a whole bunch of birds, that spot's going to stay fresh a lot longer, a lot longer. Um, it took me a long time to figure that out. I, it took me a long time. I, I, want, I knew that I needed to limit pressure, and what that meant for me was just like, okay, I just won't hunt it very often. Well, there's more to it than that, and it took me a while to figure out there's more to it than that. Making, making myself the most effective duck killer that I can possibly be or goose killer that I can possibly be helps me lower pressure on the birds I'm hunting. The reason that is because I don't have to hunt them as hard or as long to get what I'm looking for, a.k.a. a limit, right? I'm shooting better. I'm decoying birds better. I'm just limiting my overall, my overall impact on my spots. And I'm like a lot of you guys. I have some really I have some really great spots. I've got some ho-hum spots and I got some spots that very rarely produce. And I've got some spots that are to require some travel. Um, some of them are public land, some of them are private land, some of them it's leased. It's just the way it, it's just the way it goes in our modern waterfall hunting landscape. So being able to manage your pressure is critical. That's probably like drinking from the fire hose. I know I started off with public land spots, about being super secretive with them, and then I moved into some private land spots. Um, guys, I honestly think that to have good hunts every weekend, you probably need four spots, four to six reliable spots that hold birds reliably all the time, and you need to shuffle through them. You don't hunt them back to back. You let them rest. And you keep them quiet, you keep them secret, and you keep your impact in there as low as possible. I know that's not always feasible. Maybe you only got one good spot you can go. Maybe you've only got one public access that you can hit. Do what you can. But you public guys, what I was saying about decoy strategy is even more important. Your decoys have to look awesome. They have to be perfect. Your, your spread has to look realistic. Otherwise, you just look like everybody else that's out there on that public piece trying to kill birds, and it gets tough. So think about it. Um, observe birds. Listen to birds, how they talk to each other. Watch birds in the field, how they're acting, what they're doing, and base all of your hunting strategy around what those real birds are doing. And then limit your pressure. <laughs> get in, get out. All right. Wow, that was a lot. You guys are, like I said, drinking from the fire hose on that one. But that's kind of key. It took me a long time to figure out all of that stuff. You know, I'd watch the Duck Commander videos when I was a young man and just fantasize about what that what that kind of duck hunting must be like. Growing up in Michigan, we didn't we had ducks, but man, if you lived inland like I did, you you kind of took what you got. We had some, but we didn't have 
what it seemed like they had. And they got to travel and they got to do things. And, man, you got to see some of the same places that they hunted over and over and over and over again. And they had a lot of spots. They ha- and they have a lot of spots to hunt. And they're, they manage the spots they have very wisely and very well. Um, and anybody that's doing it and doing well at it, they're managing their pressure. Or they just have ridiculous, ridiculous amounts of resources available to them. If you're like me, which I think most of you probably are, you got limited resources, you got limited time, you need to make the most of it while you are out there. And I hope those few tips that I just talked about will help you do that. All right, on to product spotlight, if you will. I got the chance a couple weeks ago to do a hunt with Brian Kelvington, who is one of the head guys at Federal and at Federal Premium. We hunted some geese, and we hunted a lot of upland birds. And he introduced us to a new product from Federal called um, Heavy Bismuth waterfowl and upland and this is it this is i don't know if this is what exactly what the boxes are going to look like guys but this is roughly what it's going to look like if you're a fan of bismuth you know that it's nice to be able to pick one shot shell and shoot everything with it whether you're hunting pheasants ducks even geese you can kind of do everything with it and that's the premise behind this heavy bismuth federal partnered with has partnered with heavy shot to bring you what i think is a top shelf bismuth product. Um, Brian sent me a couple boxes of this. I didn't get, unfortunately, on the hunt in Montana, I didn't get to put it to the test because he didn't have it. Um, but I watched some of the guys that were shooting the 20 gauge stuff. It was devastating. It looked like it was devastating because you got to keep in mind bismuth is almost as dense as lead. So it performs very, very similarly to lead. You can shoot it out of just about any shotgun that's safe for modern shells. By that, I mean you can shoot bismuth out of stuff that you can't shoot steel and tungsten out of. So it has a lot of great properties about it. But Brian sent me a couple boxes the other day, and these are the 12-gauge 3-inch ounce and 3-eighths of number 3 shot. And we put it through the paces last Sunday, and for the first time, and I got to tell you, I was very, very impressed. It cl- it, it cleanly killed mallards, um, everything from right in the decoys, which you would expect, to some of those stretched out shots, 40, even 50 yards as they're swinging out, getting away, or they're, you know, they, they're trafficking up and down the river. I don't, I don't necessarily only take decoying shots. If I've got birds that are coasting by along the river, they're looking for they're looking for decoys. They're not a mile high. They're 40 yards out flying down the river. I'm going to take that shot. Um, we just don't get – got to kind of take the opportunities you're given. And so this stuff performed from those close-up shots, which I would expect, all the way out to 40, even 50 yards. And it didn't cripple birds. The birds that, the birds that we shot with it were stone dead on the, on the water, just stone dead. It was amazing. But the real test was – can it perform on geese too? And we did kill some honkers that day. And I, I watched Dan Picard, one of the guys we were with, he had a, I gave him a little bit of this too. And he swatted a honker 
We had one honker decoy, killed it, and the, its partner was kind of up higher above it. And Dan, it was it was an ethical shot, was not sky busting, but it was at the edge of ethical range, and he stoned that bird. You know, it didn't sail down, it didn't coast down, it folded and was laying on its back kicking, which is makes it easy for my dogs, especially in cold weather. So I'm excited for this product to come to market. Again, it's the new federal premium heavy bismuth waterfowl and upland loads and you can use it in modern and classic guns guys it is impressive i i've been super impressed it's it's uh i i don't know exactly what your price point is going to be on this it's it's not going to be a bargain load um if that's what you're looking for it's it's you're gonna it's not going to hit that price point it's going to be more of a premium shot shell but it's going to perform for you like premium ammunition does which, pun intended, you get more bang for your buck out of premium ammo. I, I, I really I really feel that way. And I'm not going to rehash everything. I've, I've done that in the previous podcast. But I wanted to tell I wanted to talk to you about this new product from Federal Premium, the heavy bismuth. It is it's impressive. It's impressive. It works really, really well. Um, if it works on ducks and geese, it's going to crush upland birds as well. And there I don't know what all the offerings are going to be on this yet. But check out Federal's website and give this stuff a look. If you can get your hands on a box or two, do it. You're going to be impressed. I, I know I have been. It's great, great stuff. So, anyway, I told you I'd give you a Hondo update as well. Hondo had, I, Hondo's, he's hitting his stride. He, two years worth of training with him, and it has come to fruition. He's super steady. Especially when he's by himself. I've, I'm, I'm trying to hunt him and Mackinac together. Mac does not have, he doesn't have the manners that Hondo has. I didn't, I didn't know enough. When I got Mackinac, I wanted a dog that would get ducks out of the river and hunt pheasants. That's what I wanted. And that's what I got. And that's what I trained him to do. And as a result, Mac's not a steady dog. Um, even at 10 years old, he's not steady and he's highly competitive. And so he's got some really bad manners. I'm trying to work through that with him, but Hondo in the meantime is rock solid. And guys, he did, he performed his first blind retrieve last week, um, last Sunday, knocked down a, a mallard that Killed it stone dead, but it was a little far. Wind caught it, and it sailed across the river into the brush on the opposite side of the river. Hondo did not mark the bird. He heard it. He heard it hit, but he did not see it. Um, I let Mackinac mop up the bird, uh, the bird that was in the decoys. He got that bird, and I walked Hondo down and got him. So this is this is something that. I don't think a younger me would have done. And I want to point this out to you guys. I set Hondo up on this retrieve so that when he hit the bank, he would be downwind from the bird that was on the bank. And I did that using the river current. I lined him up directly across from where the bird was on the bank. He couldn't see it. It was in the brush 20 yards from the edge of the river. He has to swim the fast river, get out on the bank, and then hunt dead and find the bird. I knew that if I could get the that bird scent in his nose, 
that he in that he could get him in the nose cone as soon as he hit the riverbank that I wouldn't have to handle him near as much. I wouldn't have to stop him. He'd work right in. He has an amazing nose. So I set him up right across from it, knowing that the current would take him downriver and he would eddy out 20 yards to 30 yards downstream of where the bird lay on the bank. That's a pretty good, that's a pretty good scent cone, and he should be able to smell the bird. That was my plan. It worked perfectly. I lined him up at heel. Well, my left hand, sorry, that's Mackinac on my right. I lined Hano up on my left side, just like I always would. I pointed him and I gave and I sent him. Hondo. Got jumped in the water, swam out about halfway, and we're working through this. He checks back. And ideally he wouldn't check back. He would just go until I stop him. But he's young. We're still working through it. He he got right to the middle of the river, didn't see a bird, and he looked back over his shoulder at me. And I said, back. He kept going, got to where he could touch, and he stopped and looked back at me. And I said, back. He ran up on the bank, and as soon as he got his feet got on dry ground, he got in that no, he got in that scent cone of that mallard. And you could see it. His tail got birdie. He got bird tail. His nose went down, and you could see him. His nose went from being like up in the air to kind of flat out, and he's scenting that bird. And he tracked and tracked and tracked, got in the thick brush where the bird fell, and he's in there rooting around. And this is thick, thick Russian olives and grass. I cannot see him, but I know he's right where the bird is. And I thought, all right, we'll see what happens. If he comes out without it, I'll send him back in. He immediately, within seconds, emerges with the mallard, the Drake mallard, in his mouth. Swims the river, brings it right to heel, perfect. Holds the bird for me perfectly. Absolute perfect retrieve. This, picking up ducks in the decoys at 20, 30 yards, a lot of dogs can do that. That's not hard. They can see the bird, they swim out, they get it, it's not a big deal. Sending a dog across a fast river in extreme cold conditions, because it was about, I think it was 10 degrees that morning, and the wind chill had it just below zero. Um, it was pretty brutal. Having a dog work to perfection in those conditions, absolutely incredible to watch. I've worked for two years with Hondo to get him to do that exact retrieve, and he did it. And we're going to build from that into longer distance say we cripple a goose and it sails i want to just be able to send him and have him do it like Mackinac does but better so anyway there's your hondo update for you um when this weather gets a little warmer it's supposed to get up in the 30s and 40s in a couple of days after christmas and this negative 50 below stuff's gonna go gonna go away i'll actually get out and hunt again Right now, I'm giving those birds a break. They're in survival mode. It's hard on me. It's hard on the dogs, hard on my equipment, and it's hard on the birds to be out there chasing them around when it's this cold. So maybe it'll push some more birds in too. But anyway, guys, wanted to give you a quick update on Hondo. Wanted to talk about how to manage your hunting spots, and I wanted to talk to you about this new federal heavy shot. I'm sorry, the new federal heavy bismuth. Featuring Heavy Bismuth, their waterfall and upland load. Check it out if you can find it. It's awesome stuff. Check it out on the website. So, till next time, I'm going to go home, enjoy the family for the holidays. I hope you guys do as well. Have a Merry Christmas. 
and best of luck in the coming weeks as you finish up duck and goose season.